tack on to that, uh, to that video and say thank you. Uh, we had over 100 people, about 140, I think, sign up to help at Fishbone. Many of you have done that. Uh, we are in the process still of, of doing those remodel, doing that remodel. Uh, but I want to say thank you to all of those that have been a part of things. I do want to let you know that this Saturday, you saw all those walls that were framed. All of them need insulation put in it. So we're going to do that this Saturday. If you've signed up, you should have already received an email, actually, inviting you to come and do that. Uh, if you haven't signed up and you want to be involved, you can call the church office and uh, talk to Missy. I didn't tell her that till right now, but now she knows. Um, but please, we'd love to have you be involved. The ministry there is impacting families on the island in a way, quite frankly, that we as a church never could. So we wanted to come alongside and partner with them. I will tell you there's one other thing that you can do for us. I mentioned just once when we first started this project that we also needed funding for it. Uh, I think we probably need about another $10,000. We've, we've received $3,000 thus far. And so if you want to give to that, you can just mark your online gift or the, the gift you put in the offering plate, Fishbone, and it will go towards making those repairs and that remodel. So again, thank you for your participation and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you down there on one of the days. There'll be other days to come where we'll be doing remodel, okay? If you don't know who I am, I'm Bob Thomas. Actually, if you don't know who I am, you're probably lucky, but that's a whole different story. Uh, I'm Bob Thomas, one of the pastors here. As you know, Pastor Denny's away, and so I have the opportunity to, to share it with you. And we're in the Old Testament. We're talking about different Old Testament characters. And so if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 11, I'm going to give you a little background while you turn, and then we'll read some scripture there. Most of you have heard of David. David was a poet. He wrote many of the Psalms we have in the book of Psalms in the Bible. He was a king, and he was also a warrior. Now, many of you right now are thinking we're going to talk about David, but we aren't going to talk about David this morning. But we are going to talk about one of his mighty men. David had a group of men around him called David's Mighty Men or the 30 Mighty Men. There's actually about 37 of them, so I'm not sure why they call them the 30 Mighty Men. But they're referred to in Scripture, and they're really, think of them as the special forces, right? Delta Force or SEAL Team 6. They were the most elite. They were the best of the best. And there were three of them, actually, that received special honor, even among the 30. But we're going to read about one of those men this morning, and we're going to draw out a couple of principles that were true in his life that are also true in our lives. And I told the, the gentleman, we, we got together with the elders and some of the pastors to pray, and I said, I started out with four points, and I'm down to two, because that's all the time we have. So we're going to look at two principles that we see in Benai's life, and we see in ours as well. So would you read with me 1 Chronicles 11, verses 22 to 25. If you follow along, it'll be up on the board here for you. It says this, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He, too, was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. This passage tells us that Benaiah was a valiant warrior. And it says that he did many exploits, and then it gives us three specifically. 
The first thing it says is he killed two of Moab's mightiest warriors, the two mightiest. A lot of speculation about what these two men must have been like. For the, the fact that it was listed in Scripture means they weren't just normal men. You see, David's mighty men won a lot of battles and, and were able to defeat a lot of people, killed a lot of people. So for these two to be mentioned, there was obviously something special about them. There's a lot of speculation about that, which we won't, we won't go into. The last exploit that it talks about is that Benaiah went up against someone who was five cubits tall. Now, a cubit is an exact length of measurement. It's from your fingertip to your arm. So anywhere from seven to seven and a half feet tall, this Egyptian, this giant he goes up against, says he had a, a spear like a weaver's beam. Well, how, how big is that? Again, we don't know for sure. About eight to maybe 12 feet long, probably as thick around maybe as my, as my forearm. Okay, certainly a formidable opponent. Benaiah went against him with just a club, was able to take the spear and defeat the Egyptian. And then the one in the middle, which is just a, a sentence, not even a complete sentence, Benaiah went into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now it mentions that it was a, a snowy day just to show that it was even that much more difficult because the footing would have been difficult, would have been even more difficult than if it was a sunny day, as if killing a lion in a pit on a sunny day wasn't hard enough. He did it on a snowy day. As I read this passage, again, as I said, several things came to my mind as I looked at Benaiah's life, and, and I want to just talk about two of them. Before I do that, I have a question for you. Yes, it is quiz time, and yes, you can answer out loud. Do you know anyone else in the Bible, this should be an easy one, who killed a giant and also killed a lion? David. All right, let's, re let's look at that. Look at 1 Samuel 17. So David is, is, has volunteered now to go up against Goliath, the giant, and the king, Saul, he's not really sure David's the guy for the job. He, he's, he's not really certain. And so David is talking to Saul, and this is what he says in verse 34 of 1 Samuel 17. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And then he says, this uncircumcised Philistine, this giant Goliath, he'll be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this giant, David is saying, this Philistine. David was a warrior. He killed a giant. He killed a lion. For good measure, he killed a bear. Benaiah killed a giant and a lion. Maybe he killed a bear too, we just don't, we don't hear about it in scripture. But let's get back to his story. When I, when I read those verses about Benaiah, when I think about that story, really one word came to my mind when I think of Benaiah, courage. Courage. You don't go up against a seven or seven and a half foot man with a huge spear unless you have courage. You, you don't go up against a lion in a pit on a snowy day or a clear day unless you have courage. And so the first principle that I see in Benaiah's life and that, that is true in our life as well is this, and it's in your sermon notes, uh, the blue sheet that's in your, uh, in your bulletin. It says this, to live the life God desires for us, we must have courage. We have to have courage to live the life that God is calling us to live. 
This is an important principle because I think that a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, a lot of us feel like if we pray and we ask God to take away the difficulty or the challenge or the hardship in our lives, that he'll take it all away and we'll live an, an easy, simple life that doesn't require courage. But the truth is that's not scriptural. Time and again, God leads us into challenging situations. Often, those are the things that grow our faith. Those are the things that actually enable us to have courage. We're going to talk about that as we go on this morning. Here's something else to remember as well. Having courage does not mean that we do not have any fear, that there's no fear. You understand that? It's not, I think sometimes, again, we as Christians think, well, I'm either fearful or I have courage. But that's not really true. Let me ask you a question. Benaiah, so he is facing this seven, seven and a half foot tall giant with a huge spear. Do you think he felt fear? He's in a pit with a lion. Do you think he felt fear? You know, I, I think sometimes we, I know I can at least, read some of these types of stories in Scripture. And we say, yeah, yeah, that's nice. Kill an Egyptian. Yeah, kill a, kill, a, kill a lion. That's great. But think about it. He's in a pit. We don't know how big it was, but it was a pit. No easy way in, no easy way out. Some translations actually say he chased the lion into the pit. He's face to face with a lion. A lion has claws, huge teeth. Think with me, what do you think the lion smelled like in close proximity? What do you think he sounded like when he growled or maybe when he roared? Can you, can you imagine the breath coming out, turning white? Remember, it's a cold, snowy day. We know what that's like in western Pennsylvania. That breath comes out and then it disappears. I'm certain that Benaiah felt fear, yet he was able to respond with great courage and, and do what God was calling him to do. In this case, he was able to defeat a lion. I want to give you a a couple quotes throughout the morning about courage. Here's one from Mark Twain. It says this, courage is the resistance of fear, the mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what is right in spite of the fear. Regardless of the consequences, regardless of the circumstances, it's doing what is right in spite of the fear. So to live the life that God's calling us to live, we have to have courage. Think about this for a few, a few minutes in your own life. Maybe this week, maybe last year. I'm certain there was a time in your life where you felt God was calling you to do something, but you felt fear. You weren't sure. And, and yet you were able then to overcome that fear and, and do what God was calling you to do. You were able to have courage and take that step that God was calling you to do. It, it may have been something major in your life, or something minor in your life. Maybe you changed careers when it was risky. Or you bought a house when you weren't really, you knew God wanted you to do it, but you weren't sure how he was going to provide for it, but you took that step. Maybe you just, you went and you asked for help from someone. All of those things take courage. Certainly, they take courage. But as we follow the Lord through our lives, He's going to bring us to those challenges or those opportunities that take courage to take the step he wants us to take. I mean, I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to you. 
that the Christian life takes courage. Throughout Scripture, certainly maybe the book of Joshua is the, the most famous. It says, be strong and courageous. In 1 Samuel, three times it says, be courageous or have courage. Even in the New Testament, Paul tells the Corinthians, be courageous. It takes courage to live the Christian life. Certainly we need this courage in life-altering big decisions. But as I said earlier, we also need it just, just in those everyday things that God may be calling you to do. Maybe he's calling you to share your testimony with someone at work or someone in your neighborhood. Maybe you need courage to do what's right physically. You know, maybe the doctors told you you've got to take some steps here. And you need courage to, to just ask someone to hold you accountable a little bit. Maybe you need courage to, to join a gym. That's a pretty everyday life occurrence. But it might be what you need to do. And you need courage to do it. Could be something more serious. You need to ask a spouse for forgiveness. Or, or you need to forgive a spouse. Maybe you need to ask someone for help with an addiction. Maybe you need to get into school. Or maybe you need to take some time away from school. Here's the thing. That list could go on and on because in a, in a group this size, we can't possibly list all of the difficulties or situations or struggles or opportunities in, in, in all of our lives that require us to have courage. We must have courage. How do we have courage? How is that possible? That leads me to my second principle. Courage is possible because of proper preparation in your sermon notes. Courage is possible because of proper preparation. And, and, and I read those verses from David, and I want to go back to them because he gives us some insight into how it's possible to have courage Remember, again, he's talking to Saul, and if, if you look, we look at the last two verses, 1 Samuel 17, 36 and 37. 36, again, he's saying, hey, I killed the lion, I, I killed the bear, this Philistine's going to be like that. And then he says in verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine, this giant. David understood David understood that it was the Lord who made it possible for him to kill the lion and the bear. And it was the Lord who was going to give him strength and courage to be able to defeat the lion. That it wasn't something he could do in his own strength. It wasn't something he could, he could muster up. It was God and God alone who was able to do that. He understood that no matter how big the giant might be, God was bigger. God was bigger and stronger and he was able to have courage because of that. But here's, here's an important point. David didn't have courage. He didn't come to that understanding that God was bigger because in that moment, God gave him an incredible dose of supernatural courage. Rather, David had been walking step by step with the Lord through his life. And he had, he had been through situations and he had been through challenges that required courage, that required him to trust God. And, and he did that. He was obedient in that. And it's, it's what Joe talked about last week, this idea of trusting and obeying, obedience and trust, going together step by step. And so David is able, when he comes to a, a lion stealing his sheep, he's able to have courage 
and defeat the lion and the bear. And now, when he's faced with this huge giant, he has this pattern in his life. He is prepared. He's ready to have courage and trust the Lord to defeat the lion. David and Benaiah understood, and we need to as well, that when it comes to these problems in our lives, these difficulties in our lives, it's not the size of the problem that's important. It's the size of our God that's important. They understood that. This preparation is critical if, if we are to have courage. Benaiah, when I read this excerpt from his life, I, I, I can certainly envision that Benaiah is not the kind of person that sat around on the couch and ate potato chips, right? You know, the stereotypical, he's got, uh, he got the T-shirt on and, you know, it's got grease stains on it. You know, that, that wasn't Benaiah. Benaiah was ready. He was prepared physically, yes, but also spiritually. You know, I, I don't think he had 2 o'clock on Tuesday, I'm going to chase a lion into a pit. It just happened. It was unexpected, but he was prepared. He was ready. It seems clear to me that because Benaiah spent so much time with David, and we know a little bit more about David's walk with the Lord than we know Benaiah's, I'm sure that Benaiah, during his time with David, was not just prepared physically, but also spiritually. He spent a lot of time with David. He would have been prepared spiritually as well as physically. So in the passage that we read, it says that, that David made him the, uh, his chief bodyguard over his bodyguard. Later on in 1 Kings chapter 1 and, and then into chapter 2, we have another episode in Benaiah's life, and, and I'm not going to take time to read that, but I'll explain it to you. David's reign is coming to an end, and, and Benaiah has a choice to make. David wants to make his son Solomon king. There's another of David's sons who's kind of already made himself king. And Benaiah has a choice to make. Am I going to back Solomon or am I going to back David's other son? And it was a high-risk decision because choosing incorrectly and backing the wrong person could have had dire consequences. He probably would have been killed if he had chosen the wrong man. But in that situation as well, Benaiah had courage, and he stepped up in a major sort of way and supported David. In fact, he played an integral role in making Solomon king. It would have been easy to sort of back away, kind of, let's see what other people do. Let's see who sort of has the upper hand. I'm going to do that. But that's not at all what Benaiah did. He had great courage, and he stepped forward. In fact, later, Solomon makes him commander of the entire Israelite army. Another position that would have taken great courage. I'm sure in that position he found himself many times in many situations needing courage. But Benaiah was ready. He was prepared because throughout his life, again, he had trusted the Lord Physically, yes, when he's facing the lion, when he's facing the Egyptian, he had also been prepared because of his relationship with God. Let me give you another example very quickly. Remember last week, Joe spoke about Hezekiah. If you weren't here last week, I won't say shame on you. Just get the, just get the audio and listen to it. He tells, the, he, he tells Hezekiah's story. Very briefly, Hezekiah is the king of Judah. The Assyrians are are surrounding the city. They're, they're laying siege to the city, and they get a letter from the king, Sennacherib, who basically says, 
I'm going to destroy you and everything you have, and your God can't save you, and neither can you. And Hezekiah takes that letter. If you remember, he goes into the temple. Remember this? Anyone? Joe, they weren't listening. Sorry. Now he goes into the temple. He lays it before the Lord. And in that situation that brought great fear to the people, and I'm certain as well brought fear to Hezekiah, Hezekiah responds with courage, and he trusts God. And he understands it doesn't matter how big the army is because God is bigger and God is able. But here's the important thing again to remember. Hezekiah had been living a life of preparation. Remember Joe talked about that. He had been obeying. He had been trusting. He had been living that life. And so he was prepared when that moment came that he could respond with great courage. There's lots of other cases in the Old Testament. I wanted to mention one, at least in the, in the New Testament. Maybe the best example is Paul. The Apostle Paul, he, he comes to Christ and he, he accepts Christ. He understands who he is. And, and he begins really to, to study and be prepared spiritually. He wants to understand Scripture now from a whole different perspective now that he knows who Christ is. And he begins to live a life of trust and obedience and he has many opportunities, incredible, amazing opportunities. And he also has some incredible hardship and difficulties. And he responds with all of those with amazing courage. He's being beaten for his faith, but he can respond with courage. He has an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with rulers and authorities, very powerful people. And he responds with courage. And many of you know, he was really, he was the first missionary. He went out on so many, uh, a couple different missionary journeys. And in, in the midst of those journeys, he has courage throughout the things that take place in his life. So that second principle is very important. Courage is possible because of proper preparation. But what's that look like in our lives? What's that look like for a believer? So I've got a couple of key aspects of that preparation in your sermon notes. And here's the first one. A vibrant relationship with the Lord. A vibrant relationship. And, and the first component of that is it's a, it's a relationship that involves time in his word. Now, when I say time in his word, I, I want to make sure and say that we want we, we to be in God's word. If you're only in God's word out of habit, out of duty, so that you can check it off your to-do list and say, okay, I'm done for Tuesday. Thank goodness that's out of the way then you're missing the essence of why we spend time in God's word. We spend time in his word so that we, we know him. We, we get to know him. We, we know his attributes. We know his characteristics. We know how much he, he loves us. We know what pleases him. We know what he desires for us. That's why we spend time in God's word. That's a, that's a critical component of having a vibrant relationship with the Lord. Here's the second component, spending time in prayer. Prayer is communication between us and the Lord. One aspect of that is us communicating to him. Certainly we bring our requests to him. We're, we're, we're asked to do that. We're told to do that in scripture. Bring your requests to the Lord. We can also communicate with him just our souls, where we are, how we're feeling, our fears, our joys. But it's also a time, prayer is also a time to hear from him. And for me, at least, that takes more discipline than the request part. It takes me being quiet and alone and having time and asking him to speak 
and then just sitting in silence and allowing him to speak to me through the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a critical component. And then the last component of having that vibrant relationship with the Lord is worship. Worship. We worship this morning corporately. I hope it was, a, it was a great experience for you being in God's presence and worshiping him. But we also need to do that privately. Maybe some of us do that through, through singing. Maybe some of us do it through our words, praising God and understanding who he is and praising him for that. Worship is a key component of having a vibrant relationship with Christ. It's, it's always, uh, it shouldn't amaze me anymore, but it does how God works things in his timing. After this sermon was completed, I got an email from a group that we, we attend some of their seminars. It's called Catalyst. I'm sure some of you may maybe have heard about it. It had a quote, it had, sorry, it had a, um, a quote about courage, a definition of courage. And I thought it just fit perfectly with this specific idea of having a vibrant relationship with Christ. So let me share it with you. It says this, Courage is not gained from self-reliance. It's not a process derived from a self-help book. It's the fruit of relational intimacy with God. It's the outpouring of what's already in us, what's already in you. The idea is we have this vibrant, intimate relationship with Christ. Christ lives in us. And as we understand more of who he is, we have great courage because we trust in him. And that courage shows itself, demonstrates itself in our lives. It's what's already in us that comes out. I thought that was a great definition or quote about courage. So having this vibrant relationship with Christ is a key component. Here's another key component in your sermon notes. It says this, trusting God in small things so that we learn to trust him in big things. We need to live life taking faith-filled risks. Some of you have heard that before. Used to really be part of what the Christian and Missionary Alliance talked about quite a bit. Taking faith-filled risks. The idea is we take faith-filled risks, risks that God is directing, and we demonstrate really to ourselves that God is able, that God is strong, that God will walk with us in the midst of whatever circumstance comes along, taking faith-filled risks. It, it might mean, again, something small. You know, maybe we, we know we have to have a conversation with someone, and we just, we just don't want to do it. We need courage to have that conversation. Once again, maybe it means sharing our faith. I keep mentioning that one because I think so often I've talked to people, I know I've had this experience you feel like I need to share with this person, but we shrink away and we miss the opportunity. We need courage to share our faith. But as we take steps in those little things and we see God respond, our courage grows. Our faith in him, our trust in him grows. And we're able to then tackle more difficult things. The last component is this. Living through trials or challenges. <laughs> Often those are trials or challenges we don't want in our lives at all. But as we walk through them, even if God doesn't remove them, even if God doesn't answer the way we desire and he, he takes those problems or challenges away, 
we come to realize that we can live our life in the midst of those circumstances and God will walk with us and God will strengthen us. And that gives us courage the next time we're faced with something difficult. That's certainly been my experience, Grace and my experience, as, as we've walked through this situation with me having seizures, which I, I still have from time to time. Not something we want. We're pray, praying that God would heal me. The truth is, when they were singing a song that said, he is our healer, I prayed right then, God, heal me. I know you can. And so would you do that? Would you pray for me that God will heal me? Because I know he's able to. We're trusting that he will. But here's the thing. Walking through that has been great for us from a spiritual standpoint. We understand that God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He loves us. He wants what's best for us in spite of the fact that that circumstance is still in our lives. Some of you are facing way more difficult circumstances. But I want you to know God is still in control. God still loves you. Remember, this preparation is a process. And we're all in different places in the journey, right? But here's something I want to make sure that you understand. Our ability to show great courage is in no way correlated often to how long we've been a believer. You see, I've seen people that have been believers for a very brief period of time that have amazing courage in, in difficult situations or, or who take faith-filled risks. And unfortunately, I, I know folks that have been believers for quite a while who are unable to do that. You can have courage if you've been a believer for a week because God gives you that courage. Let me ask you a, a couple of questions before I close. Right now, at this moment, is fear holding you back from doing something that you know God wants you to do? On the back of your sermon notes, there's some blanks there. You're not going to show them to anyone. We're not going to take them from you. It's just for you. But I'd encourage you, if there's something right now that is fears holding you back from doing something, you know God wants you to do. Maybe having that conversation with someone. Maybe writing that resume because you really know it's time to move on, but you're just not able to do it. I just want to ask you to write that down. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward and, and be prayed for and prayed with about that situation that you might have courage. Last question, is there something in your life that just seems too big for God, too difficult? Again, I'd ask you to write that down on that piece of paper. Could be a situation with a spouse, could be cancer. Could be a financial situation that you don't, you don't see your way out of. I just want you to, to write that down. Here's the thing, if, if you feel like God is calling you to, to do something, I'm gonna ask you to come forward in just a second. And I know that for a lot of you, that'll take great courage coming forward. Let that be your first faith-filled risk. You see, all of us at some point in our lives find ourselves face-to-face -face with a lion in a pit. And fear is a part of that experience. But we, we can respond with courage in spite of the fear because of what God's already done. We're no longer a slave to fear. We're his child. That gives us great courage. Great courage. So even as other folks leave here in just a moment, I do want to thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for your attention. But one of the things God's shown me 
in the last couple of weeks is often he challenges me and I leave challenged, but I don't leave changed. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't leave here challenged, but come forward so that you might be changed by him, not by us. We just want to pray with you. We just want to pray for you. So as Dave and Pam sing, we're no longer slaves to fear. You are dismissed, but I want to encourage you to come forward. If there's something that seems too big for God, or if there's something that you know God's calling you to do that you're unable to do. Thank you. We'll be waiting for you.